0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Big victory in New Hampshire for Bernie the Socialist. Plus, the Attorney General has said, No opening investigations into political campaigns without asking me first. And libs are freaking out about it. I thought they didn't like election interference. Also, the latest on Trump's war against the deep state. Roger Stone's sentencing and Jussie Smollett.
0: Coming up. This, this is, is The Buck Sexton Show, Show. where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One call, make no
2: mistake, America, great your great America again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is
2: Buck Sexton. Now. And what I can tell you with absolute certainty, and I know I
0: speak, for every one of the Democratic candidates is that no matter who wins, and we certainly hope it's going to be us. We are going to unite together. We are
2: going to unite together and defeat the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country.
1: Why the modern history? Why not the whole history, Bernie? Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. The burn America's feeling it right now, or at least New Hampshire is. Bernie Sanders, as predicted, as expected, uh, is the big winner out of New Hampshire. But you still have this Pete Buddha Judge scenario playing out where you have more delegates uh, overall declared for Mayor Pete than for Bernie, based on the debacle in Iowa as well. All right, folks, socialism won last night. And socially, at least in the Democrat primary, let, let's keep it real. Let's not pretend like this is something more than it is. But there are some interesting narratives that were playing out. Uh, let, let me first say, before I jump into smashing the idiocy of the far left Dems, which is going to be fun for all of us, as it always is. Uh, Andrew Yang dropped out last night. And I have to say, I think that Andrew Yang, yes, he was trying to bribe voters with their own money, essentially, which is... A novel idea, though. It's creative. I give him points for creativity. But Andrew Yang always came across, and I I interviewed him. He's somebody who would speak to conservatives. Andrew Yang was a nice, he's an affable, intelligent guy who was trying to bring some new ideas into the public arena. And he was willing to speak to the other side. I think those are all considered liabilities in this Democrat primary now when it comes to the base the left-wing base and what they're looking for. They want someone who hates Trump and hates Trump voters. This is also the liability that the second to last finisher had last night. Although, oh no, wait, wait. Everybody, I almost forgot. Get ready to wipe away your tears. Deval Patrick has suspended his presidential campaign. <laughs> oh no, who who even knew this guy was running for, I didn't even think he knew he was running for president. Was this like a write-in thing? It's crazy. Deval Patrick is suspending his presidential campaign. That was about a one-day news cycle. People were all, oh, well maybe he got the go-ahead from the DNC and all these conspiracies. So we're, we're really working our way from the bottom up in terms of the finishers. But I, I, Yang's a nice guy, and, and I think he should be shown the respect due someone who's willing to approach the other side, which these other Democrats, these other libs for the most part, Mayor Pete will speak to the other side, but that's because he's, he's Robo-Pete. He's like he's like a, a robot, a cyborg who says the things that he thinks politicians should should say. We'll get to him in a little bit. But Warren, Sanders, they, they will not sit down and really engage the other side in a meaningful way, and not, neither will Joe Biden. Neither will Joe Biden. Although now Biden might have to get a little desperate. OK, so Yang is out and I, I I think Yang's a good guy and he was an interesting addition in this race. Deval Patrick is out. Nobody notices. I don't even think the people that were on the Deval Patrick campaign will notice any difference. Uh, you have Tulsi Gabbard, who's also a little too respectful of the other side, you know, meaning that she's willing. The other side's voters, not not Trump. She hates Trump. She's far left. I have no illusion. So is Andrew Yang, but she doesn't hate Trump voters. And she really does. She's in the military. She respects the military. She respects service. There's some there's some innate goodness in Tulsi Gabbard that the left hates you know, her, her willingness to say maybe we shouldn't abort third trimester babies. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not OK on the left. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> That's the, uh, uh remember that, that Greta Thunberg speech? I love it. How dare you? That's a fun one to say. But uh, Tulsi Gabbard's obviously not going to win the nomination, but she's staying in it because she thinks that her voice is, is worthwhile in this race. And then that brings us to the number five, number five finish in New Hampshire. Joe. Biden, the media, beloved frontrunner, ahead on all these national polls. Oh, he's going to beat Trump. He's going to sweep the field. He's going to crush all of his opponents. He will crush them, drive them from their villages, and hear the lamentations of their women. Bonus for any of you who get that one. Uh, So that was what we were told about him. And uh, this is what ended up actually happening last night with blue collar joe producer mark play clip 10 please
2: i want y'all to think of a number 99.9 percent that's the percentage of african-american voters who have not yet had a chance to vote in america one more number 99.8 that's the percent of Latino voters having had a chance to vote. <laughs> so when you hear all these pundits and experts, uh, cable TV talkers, talked about the race. Uh, tell them it ain't over, man. We're just getting started.
1: Well, he did flee the scene pretty early last night. He left. Biden left New Hampshire many, many hours before the polls closed. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going out of South Carolina. And Biden is assuming that uh, he will have. Very strong support in, by the way, I I didn't mention uh, Michael. Michael Bennett also dropped out.
3: Okay, Michael Bennett.
1: Do we have the Michael Bennett claim? I think he said like two days ago that he could beat Trump. Do we have, well, maybe we'll find that one. He's really not. He's not the most inspiring candidate I've ever heard. I don't know how long I can do this impression while you find the clip of Michael Bennett. Play it.
2: And if we don't win elections, we can't do anything about that. And our kids can't fix their own schools. Our kids can't fix our broken immigration system. Our kids can't fix climate change. Our kids can't change our tax code so work pays again in this country. That's the work we have to do. That's why we cannot lose. That's why Donald Trump needs to be a one-term president. I'm asking for your help on Tuesday. I can beat Donald Trump and win the Senate back We'll win 55 seats in the United States Senate.
1: I don't know when Michael Bennett decided that he was Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, United States Marine Corps, Guantanamo Bay Cuba. but all of a sudden he's just yelling at everybody. You can't handle the Trump. Like, what happened? My impression of him is much closer than it sounded right there because I've never heard him scream so much. I guess he's at that last desperate few hours of a campaign where he figures maybe he'll get a soundbite. Oh, we just gave him one on this show, so I guess it worked. But really, he's kind of like down. He kind of talks down here, and he doesn't. he doesn't have a twang. He just sounds like a guy who, like the guy from was it South Park? I think he sounds kind of like one of those guys. Uh, Anyway, Michael Bennett is out. Deval Patrick is out. Delaney, I think, is officially out, but who cares? Tom Steyer got like very little votes, a very little percentage of the vote last night. Um, Who else is out of the mix? This is all about the delegate count now. Bloomberg, still zero delegates. Bloomberg, not a strong showing last night. So, there is that. Uh, And... Now we get into the people. Oh, so we got Biden. The, the big question that everyone's asking today is Is the Biden campaign autopsy too soon? You know, is Biden going to now rally, win South Carolina, win Nevada, head into Super Tuesday and crush it? I don't think so. I mean, now you got to figure that Bernie has the momentum and is the front runner. Because Bernie is going to do very well, for example, in California. Bernie's going to do very well in some of the big states out there that a Democrat has to win to win the nomination. So Biden's hoping that he has a total reversal of fortune in South Carolina. He's saying as much. Play uh, Bruce and Mark, play clip 11. We'll hear from, from Blue Collar Joe himself. Are you Maybe concerned about the, for the message that you're
2: sending to New Hampshire by going no, to South Carolina? No, I'm not. Not at all. Not at all. They know we've worked our hard here. We're continuing. We're yeah, going to go all the way to New Hampshire. And this is it. I'm not concerned about it at all. Does you do feel son like son you're do giving up on New, 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 New Hampshire? I'm, I'm not, not giving yet. up on New no. Hampshire. Don't poke no. that in my face,
1: okay, buddy? That's all right. No, Good. I don't poke that in my face. Getting He gets all... Gets his, his back up. He gets all upset. Journalists don't want to ask him questions. I mean, Biden is is kind of irritable and seems like he's not up for this. <laughs> I do like the recurring the recurring joke on Tucker's show. I don't even sure he's really kidding. I mean the recurring commentary about how Biden <laughs> needs to be sitting on the pier in Florida with a blanket across his knees feeding the seagulls crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's true. And you know, taking nice photos with his grandkids. Like there's nothing wrong. Like that's great. But like that's really the stage of life. He should be chilling out. He's not up for this. He's just not he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it, but... You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Well, you know, that's his opinion. But he thinks he's going to have a big night in in South Carolina. Now, now we get into the, the the top tier of candidates, the top tier from uh, New Hampshire last night. You know, who did well? And I was looking just there at the, at the delegates, and that's where people are trying to take this narrative of Mayor Pete. But Mayor Pete's had his best days, folks. May, Mayor Pete is not going to be in a, in a position... To do even better in these major states, right? I mean, New Hampshire primary, Iowa, um, those are the places where Mayor Pete was going to do the best uh, for his campaign. And now we have it pretty clear that uh, he's—I mean, unless Joe Biden drops out, unless you have this consolidation, you know, you get Klobuchar maybe looking at uh, the situation and deciding that she's going to try to attack herself to someone else's campaign— but Buttigieg and Sanders were the winners last night. There's no question about that. Uh, it was a bad night for Warren and a bad night for um, a bad night for Biden, and it was a good night for Klobuchar. Klobuchar did well. I mean, if Warren's not going to win in New Hampshire, where is she going to win? But Klobuchar came out with a, with a strong with a strong showing in New Hampshire, which I mean, you got to figure in my mind. She is the clear favorite. If you're if you're placing Vegas odds or something, she's the clear favorite to be a a vice president. She's somebody who you have to look at and say, all right, that that makes sense. She's uh, an an easy veep ticket, makes whoever the Democrat is, especially if you have somebody who's one of these left wingers like Bernie Sanders, makes the Democrat uh, seem like he It's going to be a heap, probably at the top of the ticket. Appeals to that center of the country, to those important. Usually, we call you know the Dems would call them libs, we call them flyover states. But when they need their votes, they're really important. oh Wisconsin. No, no, Wisconsin and Michigan. You confuse those two. I think those are states that have quite a rivalry. We were thinking about rival states, by the way, Bruce and Mark. Right, Wisconsin and Michigan. It's often sports rivalry based. And aren't there there some? Like uh, like Wolverines versus Badgers or something, right? Isn't you know Honey Badger versus Wolverine? Isn't that because you know Honey Badger don't give a don't give a yes what. the
3: Wisconsin Badgers
1: right and, and the, the Michigan, Michigan wolverines. wolverines yeah wow two large members of the weasel family ready yes. to throw down.
3: There's also know. the Michigan State Spartans.
1: Well, that's obviously a reference to ancient Greece, so that's cool too. Yes, I like that. I did not know. All right, let's let's dig into into who did well and why.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, so you had
1: Sanders with uh, 74,000 votes, Buttigieg 70,000, Klobuchar 56, and then it drops all the way down to Warren at 26,000. Warren's done. She's not going to say she's done because she's also now playing for a veep slot, I think. But Warren is done. Klobuchar got a big boost last night, and then you got Buttigieg and Sanders. I think that there's no real pathway for Buttigieg to become—can we just call him Mayor Pete? It's easier to say. They were calling him President Pete last night. I don't think so. I don't, th- I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, Bernie Sanders is the one who has the clearest pathway now because his competition on the left was really Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren isn't, isn't viable, doesn't have a viable pathway. No one thinks she does anymore. So it's pretty much all over. For her. Um, Mayor Pete gets a lot of attention from the media. They really like this guy. He does have an Obama-esque way of, of giving speeches that are meant to evoke emotions and hope in people who aren't really paying attention to the words and don't really care that it's all meaningless beyond the the most superficial pablum it's kind of like oh like tomorrow will be a greater day and there'll be sunshine and roses and the future is bright with the city on the hill and coming together uniting waves of grain coast to coast i mean that's kind of what you get from mayor pete and if you think I'm um, robo pete you know, like a robocall, call robo pete uh, here's what he has to say play 21
0: As we head to a state that looks like the future, I ask you to join us in taking a stand for a better tomorrow. Join us as we turn the page to a new chapter in America's story and a better day for each of us. And when we do, one day books will tell not just of one election, but of the era that began with you here in New Hampshire. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support go out and win this thing. Thank you.
1: How many, how many uh, cliches can he stack into one sentence? I'm almost impressed. Join for a better tomorrow. Turn the page. A new chapter. A better day. Books will tell of this day. I, I mean, wow. And this is, he, he's the great intellectual of the Democrat field. And he's definitely smarter than Bernie. Bernie... Hasn't learned much since, you know, Bernie's still partying like it's 1979. Like, he really doesn't seem to understand that we've moved on from the kind of state control of the economy, or at least intelligent people have moved on from the state control of the economy that he thinks would make us all better off and happier. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what we've got. We've got Mayor Pete saying things that you would expect if somebody was was piecing together a presidential speech based off of like fortune cookies or the things that are written on the bottom of Snapple caps. Remember, remember that or wherever. wherever they're, yeah, I think so. You know, the stuff that would be on the on the uh, the you know the the thing you put the tea bag in when you open it up. I forget what is it a sachet? Is that right? Or is it a, yeah something like that? That's where you get the wisdom of Mayor Pete. You know, it's being given out for free by major corporations because it's just it's just pablum. It's the most milk toast. Oh, yeah. Here's and which is amazing because Mayor Pete started out and he's been allowed to make this shift because the media is desperate for somebody to get behind that isn't a crazy old socialist. Uh, he's was shifted from being a guy who was lecturing Christians about how being a Republican means you're a bad Christian, basically, and sneering at people all the time and saying that Trump supporters were racist to a guy now who talks about how tomorrow there'll be blue skies and green grass and clean water and fresh air and happiness and fairy tales and unicorns and bliss and Shangri-La. I
0: mean, that's what he's saying now. And the media's like, yeah, that's Mayor Pete. Whatever he has to be today is what he should be. Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. There seems to be a threat of violence in the air these days. I wanted to know if you have felt it on the trail, and uh, where do you think that's
4: coming from? Um, Well, I think when you have a president that is cutting people down all the time, belittling them, going after immigrants, uh, that it feels a lot of anger.
1: Oh, yeah, let's focus on how Trump is causing violence, right? That's that's the the story we're always going to hear.
5: There's a threat of violence. Joy Behar, I
3: think there's a threat of
1: violence. Well, it's interesting that there's there may be a threat of of violence that they're making up, but we can look at a very real threat of violence. How many how many of you have even heard about the attack on Trump supporters uh, from a guy who was a left wing Democrat who has now it has now been made clear he has told the police in Jacksonville that he did this because he does not like Trump supporters. Quote, uh, He uh, this guy Tim, his last name is Tim, uh, Gregory Tim, accelerated his vehicle toward the canopy, tent, and tables while victims moved to avoid being struck. Tim then knocked over several tables, chairs, and tent with his car, got out of the vehicle, took out his phone, and flipped them off before driving away. Tim willingly showed the officers the video, which cuts off before he struck the tent, the police report says. And the suspect was upset the video ended before the good part. How many of you even heard about this? A guy just runs runs over Trump tents with his car. I mean, that's a scary thing, right? We can say now, oh, nobody was killed. How big a—if somebody ran over a tent that you were working in and ran over the table and ran— You would be thinking, oh, my God, this person's a psycho. They're going to try to run me over and maybe, you know, my wife or my kids who are next to me next. That's what you would think, because a normal person, a well-adjusted person doesn't see political volunteers registering people to vote and then say, I'm going to run over all their stuff with my car and they have to scramble to get out of the way. He could have killed somebody. He's being arrested for he's been arrested, being charged with many counts of assault. This is a Democrat, folks. Democrat. Do you know his name until I said it? Have you seen his picture anywhere? No? Oh, wow. Who, who wants to guess what would have happened if there had been an AOC organiza- you know organizer somewhere? You know, here in New York, let's say, registering people to vote and people that are AOC supporters all gathered together. And you had some white guy in a MAGA hat drive and you know, run over a bunch of stuff and assault people. Do you think it'd be a big deal? Do you think you'd hear a lot about that one? But no, we still have to turn on Joy Behar, who thinks that the real threat is Trump supporters. Gotta worry. I'm I'm a little too, a little too, uh, like, old smoker's cough voice for for Joy Behar. I gotta gotta figure this one out a little bit more, but it's it's close. You know, she kind of sounds, she's kind of up here, She has the accent. She has this sort of gravelly quality, right? I mean, it's getting closer. I'm going to nail this one. I'm going to nail this this impersonation for sure. So they're saying that uh, Klobuchar goes along with that because she has to because she's on The View and a lot of very, very, very stupid things are said on The View every day. Uh, I don't know why anyone honestly watches the show. But then you get Klobuchar who says that there are – That she says something else that I think we need to – established right now is is just flatly untrue it's really a lie but democrats have to pretend they have to keep this this mythology going please play clip 15 producer mark
4: Well, first, I say this, I am strongly pro-choice. I have always been pro-choice, but I believe we're a big tent party and there are pro-life Democrats um, and they are part of our party. And I think we need to build a big tent. I think we need to bring people in instead of shutting them out. And that also includes independents right here in New Hampshire, as well as moderate Republicans.
1: That's not true. There is no room for pro-life Democrats. There's no room for pro-life Democrats in the Democratic Party. We all know this. They pretend in election years. This is the classic Democrat head fake. You know, Democrats often pretend to be things that they are not, pretend to believe things that they don't, so that independents and, yes, more right-leaning or conservative-leaning Democrats will go along with them. And even sometimes perhaps some Republicans will switch over and say, oh, okay, I guess I'll I guess I'll give the this this Democrat, you know, you had what was it, the uh, gun gun toting, you know, blue dog Democrats. And, you you know, you hear all these things. And in some places in the South, they're able to get away with it still less. So, I think, now than they used to. But that's only because the Democratic Party allows that so that they can get somebody in a redder state in elected office who's going to go along with the left 90 percent of the time and on either guns or on. Uh, on pro-life issues, they know that when the, when push comes to shove, they're actually going to vote with the Democratic Party. But in election years, they get to play the game. In election years, they get to say, oh, yeah, no. Plenty of room for pro-life Democrats and, and independents who are pro-life. No. It's, it's now a binary. I mean, if you are a Democrat and you're going to be in good standing with the Democratic Party, you have to believe that abortion is a, a fundamental woman's right a constitutionally protected right, which is an absurdity, by the way. I mean, there's the, the, this is the, the violence, never mind the violence done to the unborn, tens of millions of them over the years, but the violence done to the Constitution just by the pretense that there's a constitutional right to abortion is something that no serious person can deny. And yet here we are because there's such a movement of this. And look, it's I mean, people that have been in, have been supporting something that is deeply wrong and immoral they tend not to just switch around. They tend not to just come to the, the truth on their own. And when people start presenting them with the truth, they get angry. They get even more defensive. Uh, so, until until finally the position collapses, you know. So that's where I think we will eventually head on that issue. But for right now, the Democratic Party is entirely uh, in its position on on life and on the rights of a baby in the womb at the fetus stage of development, still a baby. Uh, that very clearly is dictated by Planned Parenthood, by Narol, Pro Choice America, these different groups that funnel huge amounts of money to Democrat candidates. By the way, huge amounts of it. So don't don't think for one second. And they just pretend things are untrue. I mean, look what they did with uh, David Delayden and the Centers for Medical Progress, the group that they set up. Really, the 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 group that was a a front so that they could. Investigate what was really going on, show people what was really going on in Planned Parenthood. The media just went along with all these lies. Edited videos, all videos that are there. That's a stupid talking point. The videos were real. It showed what's going on there. The Democratic Party pretends it's not. But then again, they've got Northam running around who said on tape, I mean, said on radio that, yeah, you know, if a baby's born and it's still alive, but the mother, you know, wanted it to be aborted and it's survived an abortion. This does happen, by the way. They keep saying it doesn't happen. That's a lie. This does happen. Uh, then, you know, they, they try to make it comfortable before it before it expired before it dies That's the that's the real Democrat party that you're dealing with today And, and people will say that Northam didn't say that he said it never repudiated it never repudiated it by the way But they'll just say oh, no, he didn't say that it's denialism These people have been so brainwashed that they're incapable of seeing things that are right in, the, in front of their face That are a, an issue of fact did he say or did he not say oh, no, he didn't say that here's the video No, 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 he didn't. He didn't say it, even though I'm watching a video of him saying it. And he's never said that he didn't mean it. He's never said that those that those words are completely untrue. I mean, he's probably said now, oh, he misspoke or something. But, okay, misspoke how? Anyway, Klobuchar, in a sense, is representative of that part of the Democrat Party that tries to appeal to people who have more traditional values and take a more common sense approach to their lives, but still believe they want a big government. They think government's their friend and is going to pay for things and make their lives better. It's not true, but that's what they think. And in an election year, the Democratic Party will give Klobuchar, people like Klobuchar leeway to fool people into voting for them. So that's that's Klobuchar's role in all of this. Um, we have a New Hampshire voter who explained his uh, or her. I don't know what if it's a male or female voter because I'm just reading this on the transcript here. I want to hear the, this uh, explanation of why this person, this voter, voted for Klobuchar. Producer Mark, play six. For the Who did you vote for
2: today?
5: Um, I voted for Amy Klobuchar. Tell me why. <laughs> uh, I actually went in and eeny, meeny, miny, Modet. You're kidding no, me. No, between Literally two candidates. Literally in the booth. In the booth.
1: I like, it's obviously a woman. I uh, eeny, meeny, miny, mowed it. <laughs> I mean, this is also why. You got to remember. If you're listening to this show right now, you care about you care about the country, about politics and about knowing stuff. And by definition, if you're listening to the show, those are things that matter to you. Uh, And I know I know that and I love that and I respect that about every single person who's willing to give me even five minutes of their time on a daily basis. Never mind if they're willing to ride or die with me for the whole three hours. I love all of you who do that. But there are a lot of people who are just completely ignorant of politics. And I don't mean to. I'm not trying to say this in a mean way. They just don't know anything about politics. They don't really care. They don't really know. You know, it's it's eaty, meeny, money, mo. It's flip a coin. It's whatever. So I I bring that up just because right now we have a bit of there's perhaps an ebullience, perhaps an overconfidence that Trump is just going to crush the other side. I even was guilty of it this morning when I when I tweeted out uh, that Reagan's greatest accomplishment was defeating the uh, was defeating Soviet communism. And it may end up that Trump's greatest accomplishment is crushing Democratic socialism here in America. You know that's what I think we're heading for in a general in the general election, a repudiation of socialism, courtesy of Donald Trump, in a national election, be an amazing, beautiful thing. But I also don't want us to be overconfident because you have a lot of you you have forty-eight percent of Democrat voters, give or take, but something like that, who are going to vote for any Democrat who is not, you know, any Democrat, any person who's not Donald Trump, any Democrat, basically, anyone. They don't care who it is. So you're really only talking about a small percentage of people in a small number of states who are going to determine who the leader of the free world is for the next four years. And when you start to look at it as as it is, and it's somewhat on a razor's edge there, it's a reminder. We can't be overconfident. Yes, Trump is crushing it. Yes, there's fantastic Jobs numbers, there's incredible, incredibly low unemployment. I think the S&P just hit an all-time high again, uh, S&P 500. I mean, all these different metrics you look at, the economy is just going incredibly well. And we're not at war. We're not uh, feeling this, this constant anxiety of the next big terrorist attack that's going to hit us. Trump annihilated the Islamic State. And God bless our military for actually doing that fighting. Uh, Yet yeah, we, st- we still can't be complacent because there are people who will walk in all over the country and they will vote for the last person that you know they heard on the Stephen Colbert show they should vote for the last person that their buddy down the street said made a funny joke and they like you know whatever it is that unfortunately is the achilles heel of democracy is that a lot of very uninformed people some referred to as the low information voter they get a vote too
0: and it's often not a good one You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We have a voter out here. Sir, you were watching, so you're going to be on television now. Can you tell us who you voted for?
2: Donald (laughs) John Trump. You voted
0: for Donald John Trump. Yeah. Look at that. Bernie Sanders is not appealing to you?
2: The whole ideology ideology would be destructive to the country. It's anti-growth. It's anti-family. It's anti-American, and as a Roman Catholic, it's anti-life.
1: That guy's correct. <laughs> I like that vote. See, you, you get man on the street or woman on the street, you never know. You might get somebody that thinks that politics is a who cares, flip a coin and vote for anyone, it's all the same. Or, you know, people who don't take enough time to read the front page of a newspaper or website to know anything. Or you might get a guy like that who, yeah, he gets it. He gets it. You can tell that MSNBC reporter is like, oh, no, I stumbled upon a Trump voter. What am I going to do? Speaking of Trump voters in New Hampshire last night, you know, there was a Republican primary. Trump you know, was is, is effectively unopposed. And you look at the incumbent. I mean, there were a few people, but they got almost no votes. And it's just really a, a branding exercise. I mean, you have these these clowns out there now. Uh, like, was Joe Walsh still on the ballot? I don't even know. I remember Joe Walsh used to be like a, a fire breathing right wing radio talk show host. You know, all about the Tea Party in America. And now he's like, yeah, I'll vote for a socialist. You know, the the grift is is strong among many of these Never Trump types. Whatever they got to do when they got to do it, someone's going to pay them to do something, right? Uh, but for incumbent voter turnout, this was very interesting. You won't see this or hear this from most of the mainstream outlets, maybe from any of them. In 1984, Ronald Reagan was the incumbent of New Hampshire. He got 65,000 votes. 1996, Clinton was the incumbent of New Hampshire, 76, Meaning the incumbent president you know, of, the, of the party in power, uh, 76,000. Bush, 2004, 53,000. Obama, 2012, 49,000. Trump in 2020 in New Hampshire, a state he lost to Hillary Clinton by a couple thousand votes, Trump in 2020 got 118,774 votes. That's an enormous, an enormous number of people turning out in that primary relative to other uh, primaries of either either party in power, how many votes an incumbent president would get in New Hampshire. Now, New Hampshire is just a snapshot. Obviously, it's a small state, not a lot of delegates in play for the general election, but... People are looking at this and they're drawing some conclusions from it. Trump enthusiasm is high. Uh, People understand that there is a lot at stake for them in a a serious way. This is going to affect uh, this is going to affect their lives. And that's why I also turn to the are you better off today than you were four years ago question, which many people will point to and say is at the heart of kitchen table politics or, you know, this is the the issue, the central issue, uh, the central issue of any national level election is, are you better off today than you were four years ago by a 24 point margin? uh, The answer, according to Gallup, is yes. So 60 percent of Americans say they're better off now than when Trump took office. Only 36% say they're not. That 36%, I would notice, really representative of the, that's the Democrat base. They've, they've been told, they've been, they've been psychologically conditioned to think that what's good is bad, what's bad is good. It doesn't matter what the truth is about the country and how things are going. How is the economy? What's going on with prescription drug costs? What's going on with wars abroad? What's going on with national security, safety? What's going on with securing the border? All these things that you can point to and say, okay, well, this is better than it was before Trump was president, they say, no, it's not. And then when you try to ask them, why is it not better? They say, because Trump said Mexicans are rapists in Charlottesville. And and that's not, you know, these are all misrepresentations of what he said that also have absolutely nothing to do with the other things we're talking about when we're discussing policy and metrics and numbers. But that's, that is the power of the left-wing echo chamber, the corporate Democrat media, what they're able to do, is convince people that up is down and down is up. And no one wants to believe that they've been fooled in that way. So it's essentially impossible to convince the 36 percent of people who say they're not better off that they are, because that would mean that they'd have to admit that they've been fooled by the Democrat corporate left-wing media.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or
2: wherever you get your podcasts. We said this to Paul Ryan in the summer of 2016 when he endorsed Donald Trump and got nothing in return for it. Republicans from that point forward have never held him accountable. And that's why we are our, our constitutional republic. Literally, then the institutions in it literally are being challenged every single day. by this would be dictator. I mean, I mean, that sounds tough, doesn't it? You tell that's me. That's the word I you was telling use. Is Donald Trump, would Donald Trump not do whatever he could do if he could get away with it? Seriously, if he could arrest every journalist he didn't like, if he could arrest us tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he would arrest us tomorrow? Do you think he would arrest the editor uh, of The New York Times, the editor of The Washington Post, Jeff Bezos? Do you think he'd arrest him tomorrow and throw him in jail to silence him?
1: Do you think that Joe Scarborough is the dumbest person on television? He's making a play for it. Anna Navarro should be worried over at CNN. Joe Scarborough... Really trying hard to become the dumbest person who does political commentary in any medium, but certainly on cable news. Do you think he'd arrest us tomorrow? You know, Scarborough and, and Mika, uh, putting aside all, all of the stuff we could talk about there. Scarborough and Mika very much remind me of the, the, quote, cool kids in high school who really thought they were amazing and never figured out that no one actually liked them and they were kind of dumb. But but somehow they 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 had some people they had sycophants around them who were saying oh well you're the cool you know you're queen bee and you're king bee or whatever you're you're so important and it's like no, actually no one in the school really likes you and everyone thinks you're kind of dumb. They're a very small audience, by the way. But there's this perception of of elitism around that show. Oh, they have they have people that are you know connected on Wall Street and they have people who are connected to corporations and it's NBC and NBC is this blue chip brand and. I and mean, how much dumber is it going to get then would be would be dictator Donald Trump really he's a dictator. He, he goes to court his his administration goes to court and keeps winning because they're on the right side of the law. The petty dictators are the people who are sitting in federal uh, federal judges robes appointed by the Obama administration, trying to prevent Trump from being able to exercise his actual powers as President of the United States. Will you arrest us tomorrow? Would he arrest? You know, it's also it's so stupid and it's also offensive at some level because we we wouldn't Trump supporters would not allow that. They've convinced themselves that there's nothing Donald Trump can do that any of us would oppose, be upset with, or that we we would let Trump round them up and send them off into into camp somewhere. So, no, that's not true. It's really stupid. And this is the only way, though, they can feed that emotional need that they have for looming, looming catastrophe courtesy of Donald Trump. Because that's what they've convinced themselves is constantly happening. Literally every day is this is this idiot. Does this guy used to hold himself up as a conservative, as a Republican. What is he now? Just does the bidding of the of the paymasters over at NBC, you know, just and Mika's just there. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. You know? My gosh. The whole, thing is, the whole thing is absurd. But Trump's waging war on the deep state right now, which is great. It's fantastic. So happy about this. Not going to back off of this at all. You see, there are a few very important, very uh, underlying themes of this administration that really upsets the media and really upsets some people within our governing apparatus. I don't even really mean just the the, the elected officials. I mean the... The unelected branch, the administrative state are people that work in government agencies that wield government power. And those agencies are created by elected officials or overseen, at least technically, by the president in the executive branch. But they really act as authorities unto themselves and they have grown far too large, far too uh, powerful. People working there think that their mission is separate from and more important than the will of elected leadership that they're supposed to be representing and this is where we get the deep state that there is a sense among many who work in the federal bureaucracy that their opinions their views on things are more important than what their actual obligations under the law and under the constitution are this is how you have for example you know the well we've got a few levels of this one because there's, there's a lot that I want to get to here. You got the Vinman situation and you got Roger Stone. Uh, Vinman was cleared out of the NSC. He still keeps his job in the military. Some people are saying that maybe he should face discipline for what he did. I mean, he, th- this guy went against, for political purposes, we're not idiots, we know. He conspired, used his classified access to conspire for political reasons against the commander in chief. That's what he did. We can all do the whole, oh, but the phone call and the the uh, Russia and Ukraine and it's, it's all just garbage. It didn't go anywhere. It wasn't anything. It was all just this was this was a a product of the the fever swamp of left wing mania. Right, that's what this whole Ukraine phone call, Zelensky interfering in the election, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. It's just. Uh, But the liberals need this, right? They need more of this, because what else are they really going to offer up? Oh, yeah, Bernie Sanders is going to do a better job with the economy. This is unserious. This is flatly unserious. We all recognize that. People like, they like the feeling, though, of, oh, no, I want to vote for the person. I want to vote for the person who is going to give everybody free health care and everybody free school and everybody free this and free that. If you really believe that much in free, then you should believe in walking up to a doctor and telling him or her, You're going to work. You're going to go to school for years and years and years after you get your undergraduate degree. You're going to go through a residency. You're going to go through all this. You're going to work your butt off, and you're going to see whatever patients the government tells you to see. And you're going to get paid whatever the government decides to pay you. And that's it. That's how it's going to go. Yeah. Oh, and and you're going to have you're going to be mandated to do it. By the way, because when doctors start dropping out, saying "I don't want to do this. I I want to just be in the private." insurance market they're going to be whoop they're going to be used either with regulation or just with outright law they're going to be told no you have to see patients your labor is now owned by the government it's a human right don't you see you have to see these patients for what we tell you you're going to get paid oh you can't keep your business open too bad go work for a massive hospital system that's getting a lot of uh you know that's that's on the gravy train of uncle sam already i mean just don't even get me started but the administrative state, going back to this, I mean, Vindman is a, is a part of that administrative state, right? Somebody who thinks that there's a somehow their higher ideal always coincides with what a Democrat partisan would want. And they never see that these two things are very much intertwined, that these are not separate issues. They are very much synergistic issues. One feeds into the other. One perhaps even dictates the other. So you ask, all right. Well, what should we do with Vinman? Vinman got removed from the N.S.C. and people were acting like this was the night of the long knives. People were acting like this was, you know, crystal knock that this was a horrible totalitarian atrocity because this guy no longer gets to serve at the pleasure of the president. That is that is what the standard is. It, it is the case that if you work in the White House and your position is at the pleasure of the president, he can just say, you know what. You're out. I, I don't like your tie today. I don't like the way that you know you're you're speaking to one of my colleagues. Whatever it is, you're gone. For any reason or no reason. They can get rid of you just because they want they want someone new in. They can get rid of you because they just think someone else could do a better job. You don't have to have cause, any reason or no reason. You serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. Does anyone really think that Vinman, the conspirer? should be kept in the NSC, kept in the loop of of the the highest levels of conversations in the White House and national security., uh, just because? No, and now we're finding out that they've they've cleared out other Obama holdovers in the NSC. this is this is one of the legacies of what has been done to Trump. This is not going to just be for this administration. Going forward, any intelligent administration is going to say, in every sensitive role that we can, we're going to have people that we think are ideologically trustworthy. Now you can say, oh, but Buck, no, it's supposed to be national security is supposed to be supposed to be nonpartisan. National security is supposed okay, we'll tell that to Comey and Brennan and Clapper, you know, the CIA, the FBI, the, you know, the DOJ, with uh, just you get on the list. All these people leave behinds of the Obama administration, or civil servants who are clearly Democrats who had burrowed deep uh, deep into the, well, the really the upper regions of these agencies, and then decided that they're going to wage a hashtag resistance war of the bureaucrats against the Trump administration. That's what has been going on for years now. That's what led to the Russia collusion hoax. That's what led to now this Ukraine phone call impeachment debacle, which... which has resulted in Trump um, getting the highest approval rating ever of his presidency. So that tells you something. Huge political error from Pelosi and, and company. But the media is too busy trying to convince everyone how smart they are to convince those people like Pelosi that maybe they're not so smart after all and they should try a different tactic. But Vinmin is gone and we're supposed to believe it. That means, as Joe Scarborough says, oh, any moment now they might just send us off Into camps, they might arrest us. They might they might arrest journalists that they don't like. Really, you know, if they would stop crying about the the totalitarianism of making Jim Acosta show an ID before he's let into the White House and not having the privilege of just coming and going as he pleases because oh, Jim Acosta is so important and fancy, then maybe maybe we could take them a little bit more seriously. But it's not possible. Unless you've already been completely brainwashed into thinking that the country is falling into totalitarianism and tyranny because of Trump, it's not possible to think that these libs, these Democrats are sane in their assessments of this and their approach to it. It's not possible. Right. They, they, they freak out about every little thing. They lose their minds about these issues. And then we try to hold them to account for it. They just say, oh, no, the next time is when Trump is going to become Hitlerian the next time is when he's going to show how Stalinistic he really is. And these are the people that are paid millions of dollars to be on TV. I mean, one of the great, I, I think actually in some ways, the greatest legacy of the Trump administration. I know before I said crushing Sanders socialism, which he has to, he has to win the primary first. Looks like he might. Uh, and then he, Trump has to win the election. I'm confident he will, but who knows? But maybe the greatest legacy of the Trump administration is really exposing, in a way, it's irreparable. For intelligent people, the mainstream media is is overwhelmingly staffed with uh, vain, stupid Democrat partisans. I mean, that is re- that is the demo of the mainstream media. There are exceptions. They are in the one out of 10, maybe one out of 20 category. But overwhelmingly, the corporate Democrat media is just full of complete morons. And they're, they're buddy-buddy with people in power- who run these organizations? Who run these media? You know these legacy media outlets that are effectively, you know, unbreakable in their ability to make a profit and turn a profit because of the advantage they have in distribution, the networks that they have. So you know, this is it's still amazing to me, but that, that CNN is considered an elite brand, and so you know you'll have advertisements for the most high end companies going on CNN because that's an elite brand. But you talk about conservative media, and it's always oh. I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to get boycotted. I don't want to get boycotted. It's a great uh, unfair, unfair advantage that the left has in in the information warfare that we're currently engaged in, right? I mean, this is battles of propaganda. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just beginning to get going here. On the, we got more on the administrative state because the Roger Stone case and what that shows us is really important. Um, what what's just
0: happened in the last couple of days? I will get to that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: While the extreme left has been wasting America's time with this vile hoax, we've been killing terrorists, creating jobs, raising wages, enacting fair trade deals, securing our borders, and lifting up citizens of every race, color, religion, and creed. From our rural communities... To our cities, we are expanding the blessings of America to all of our citizens. We added another 225,000 new jobs last month alone.
1: They are obsessed with removing Trump from office. We know that. Not even defeating him at the ballot box. They want him gone. They want some scheme, some plot to remove him to work and that i think shows up in their hysteria we got to talk about that also the new hampshire results what's going on in virginia with gun control with the gun control gun grab effort there and oh so much more with my friend david harsanyi he's a senior writer at national review nationalreview.com, for his latest stuff david great to have you back
4: always good to be here thank you
1: all right let's just start well, what are your, what are your top lines because i got a whole range of topics i want to get to with you but all right new hampshire happened uh, should we be taking any big oh my gosh moments from this Or is it still too early to really know, for example If it's going to be Bernie If they are going to be the Socialist Party What do you think?
4: Like you said, I think it's uh, difficult to, to to walk away With any sort of definitive answers about what's going to happen uh, It's a weird year in many ways and uh, But, I mean, one of, one of the things I think we need to walk away with Is that, by, is that we, something we knew, that Biden is not a good politician He doesn't really... Uh, he can't really compete in many places with, 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 with many sorts of people. He's never been a good politician. He has never actually done well outside of his own state. So, um, I mean, he'd need some kind of miraculous comeback to, to win this. And I don't, I don't foresee that because, obviously, you see momentum, which is, you know – very vague sort of thing, but you see momentum uh, for the other candidates that are you know competing. Right, I mean
1: the Biden camp is going to say, "All right, we're going to win South Carolina," but I mean, if they even if they win South Carolina, that's not like everything is all fine for the Biden campaign.
4: Yeah, they'd have to they'd have to blow everyone out, which is unlikely. They'd have to win Nevada big, which seems. I haven't seen a lot of polling from those states, but that seems unlikely to me, especially when you have, and I'm going to call him a, a moderate, though I don't actually believe he is. You have the moderate lane there with him. You have Mayor Pete and others. So I, I, I think splitting votes all over yeah, you're, you're the
1: Yeah, you're picking up on that, too. Mayor Pete has, has basically just changed who he is in this race, and it's like no one pays attention to it at all.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, make him a mod, uh, moderate you know he doesn't look like a crazed uh, red, red diaper baby you know, you know who's now 90 years old he looks like a, a guy you can relate to and I'm sure he is a nice guy but his positioning and when to write about this I mean his positioning on almost everything is far to the left of any other presidential candidate that's ever run in a general right so I mean he's far to the left of Obama far to the left of Hillary so I think it's something to think about as he moves forward.
1: Now uh, if you have to look at the Klobuchar situation from last night, do you see anything? I mean, I've been saying on the show, it looks to me like she's angling for being a very uh, kind of a, a safe VP pick for whoever, whomever wins. I mean, do you feel like her campaign really thinks she has a shot after last night or is she just staying in it to see what happens?
4: I think they probably think they have a shot. I mean, when you look, you know... She- they're hoping, even though I don't think it works this way, it's not this simple, but I think they're hoping that, you know, Biden will fall out and, and, you know, the the moderate, she she sort of becomes the moderate choice. But I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to work out that way. Uh, And and definitely, I'm sure she's eyeing a VP slot or something else of that nature. Uh, I, I, you know, she falls to me within the parameters of terrible that's acceptable for me unlike many of the other candidates. So I wouldn't mind her doing better, but I just I, – I'm not – I think people are just sort of clamoring for someone who isn't Biden. You and know, what happened
1: butters- with Bloomberg? I guess no one thought Bloomberg was going to really do that much.
4: I, I, I still think Bloomberg has has sort of a chance to uh, – I keep saying sort of. I think Bloomberg has a chance to uh, – It's so hard to make definitive statements because it's really up in the air right now. But I think Bloomberg still is in there and has a chance. I don't think he was going to be very competitive in these first two states anyway.
1: All right, guys, we're going to come back in one second here with David to talk more about
0: uh, basically liberal insanity, which is a mainstay topic here on The Buck Sexton Show. Thanks for listening to The Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, so we got uh, David Harsanya here, senior writer at National Review. Uh, David, I think you, you wrote a piece on this, right? About uh, there was was it a Washington Post guy who did the whole first they came for Vinman and I said nothing" like making a Holocaust reference because Vinman doesn't get to have a coveted uh, position at the pleasure of the president at the NSC.
4: Yeah, I wrote about it. I, I anger wrote about it. it uh, it's re- it really upsets me when people make idiotic analogies to the Holocaust for personal reasons, but just because I understand and care about history. Um, and it's just kind of disgusting. So, yeah, I don't write about it is the answer.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, there's, it seems like there's no such thing, no matter how elite the platform. I mean, you can write in the Washington Post or in the New York Times, you, you can make analogies between Trump and Hitler or Trump and the Holocaust or Border Patrol and the Holocaust. You can do these things and there's never any consequence. for it. No one ever thinks less of, of a lib writer for the insane things that they write about Trump. It, I've never seen it happen.
4: It is insane. They all, you know, the only thing they came for when the only thing they did when they came for Comey was to give him a book deal, right? To give him a, a, a perch from which to speak to, or McCabe put him on CNN. They go to, you know, they go to the green room of CNN, not some concentration camp. And obviously, uh, when you talk about. Uh, Trump, you know, they'll say, oh, we're not saying he's Hitler. I mean, sometimes they'll say, we're not saying he's Hitler. We're saying this is how it started. You know, these are the, these are the instincts of an authoritarian and all that stuff, which which is ridiculous as well, because nothing, like, for instance, the press, they are not inhibited in any way from saying anything they want. And you know how I know that? Because they spend 24-7 going after the leader of the country, which means he's not a dictator. It proves he's not a dictator, you know? So, It's just—but they've convinced themselves. I I actually believe that most of them believe that that's true.
1: Is Scarborough—I didn't play this for you, but earlier in the show we had Scarborough doing his whole, you know, is Trump going to arrest us? I mean, could he just arrest everybody? And, you know, he's a a dictator doing the whole whole thing. I mean, just going full-on Trump deranged crazy. Is he playing a character on TV because he's paid millions of dollars, as far as you can tell? Or do you think he's really so— uh, feeble-minded that he thinks that Trump really is a dictator who might throw all of his opponents in prison tomorrow?
4: Well, I mean, I think that he is, uh, you know, he's an entertainer for a certain audience and he says ridiculous things for them. But I also think he's a fraud and a coward. I, he never actually debates anyone who challenges him. And he was a huge supporter of Trump. I mean, he'll go wherever he thinks ratings are. And uh, and he, and he's sort of, a, you know, a clown.
1: Yeah. I just always wonder who who watches him? That is, I understand some people like the constituency of, you know, the Young Turks, which just got a Google investment, is like rabid but ignorant leftists who are really vicious and nasty, but want to completely rewrite the history of like Marxism in the Soviet Union and think that they're really edgy, hip and cool. And they live in Brooklyn and like, you know, Silver Lake in L.A. And I mean, I I get it, right? Like, I I know who their constituents are, as, as dumb as I think they are. I, I don't really understand who watches some of these shows where you have, you know, the, or, or it's really the obsession. This is what I'm trying to get to: the obsession with watching fake Republicans bash Trump all the time. Uh, do, do libs not realize that this is just kind of an absurdity on its face, or I mean, what, are, what are you making? I, I
4: think. I think that again, I want to make. I, I made this point somewhere else. But I want to make a point that there are never Trumpers who. They, everyone's thrown in one bag but there are never trumpers who make arguments i disagree with them quite often but they make arguments i think david french falls under that you know that that heading or or jonah goldberg i still i think they make arguments uh... then you have people who are on msnbc all the time many of them who never make arguments it's just knee-jerk anti-trumpism they you know it's they're jesters for an audience that will immediately get rid of them when trump is gone that that just want to see republicans saying bad things about their own there's no intellectual force there there is no there are no real arguments there so i think that jo- joe is one of those people I mean, and uh, he likes to bring those people on not all of them but you know because there are some decent people who come on but you know I just think a lot of them are just.
1: Well, I mean, by the way, the people that make arguments—I mean, David, you know—I, you know, I know you know David very well. I know David a bit from from working with him in the past, and David will also say sometimes what Trump did here is right, or we should. The 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 Scarborough thing is is oh my gosh, unemployment so low because Trump is a dictator. It's just always crazy. Like there's no.
4: Joe, Joe Scarborough was out there. He's made this argument numerous times. I've seen. I don't actually watch the show, but I follow him on Twitter. That the Carter years were better. Economically, because we have bigger g- g- growth, you know GDP growth. It's so stupid; it's not even worth arguing about. But he, I think, has convinced himself and myself, and I think the people who watch him have mostly have convinced themselves that that is actually. And
1: true. and I have to ask this one too. I mean, Bill, I mentioned you know, Joe. Joe Walsh is just a, a, a kind of a sad opportunist, and that's that's fine, but. Uh, Bill Kristol was the editor in chief, I believe, of the Weekly Standard for I don't know how many years, maybe a few decades, uh, and now he's like, "I'll vote, I'll, I'll vote for a Democratic socialist over Donald Trump." I mean, h- how do you do? How do you go from being conservative neocon flagship publication guy to yeah, I'll vote for the socialist?
4: Uh, you get into a fight, and I think you lose all sense of uh, scale, historic scale, and you lose all sense of you know your own ideology because you're in a fight and you just hate the enemy so much that you're just not thinking straight. And that's the problem with people I think who treat politicians in ways they shouldn't be treated. You know, to me it's never been a religion. I don't really care about Donald Trump, honestly. I care that he does the things that I like and I think are good for America. It's a transactional thing completely for me. I mean not completely. Listen, I don't want, you know, some horrible person being president, but, you know, if I if that's the person available to do the right thing then I'm then I'm there. And I think You just need to judge uh, the world on issues rather than just people. But I think that a lot of people, you know, a lot of folks have lost sight of it. Well,
1: this is, I mean, the people that always are complaining that that Trump is a personality cult, what I think is so interesting is that their primary objections to Trump are almost, I mean, from the right I'm talking about now, are personality related. So they say it's a personality cult, that that's why people support Trump. But then the reason we shouldn't support him is because they, they say that he's like a bad, you know, uh, cheated on his wives. You know, he's essentially a bad person. And they don't seem to see the dissonance in that.
4: Right. I mean, you know, I, I, I was, you know, never a Trumper, I guess, before the election. I recently went back and read all my columns about Trump to see what I thought of him then to see if I was a complete fraud now when I support him. I mean, I think it's important to look at your own positions and make sure there's some consistency. My main problem with Trump was, uh, I I don't like his personality very much, but he, my main problem was I didn't think he would govern as a conservative or or do the things I liked as a certain kind of conservative. And the fact of the matter is he has done most of those things as best as he can. And, And the things that he does that I don't like on trade. And for instance, he promised he would do those before. There's no surprise there. So I don't really see Trump as something as a uniquely, you know, weird or bad president. I think you have he has his own personality which is different, but other than that, I think he's governed as any Republican would, maybe even better.
1: Now I want to ask you about what's going on. We're speaking to David Harsanyi. Everyone, you can read his latest National Review. I know you wrote about what's they're going through. This what's what can fly essentially? What can they make stick in in the Virginia State Legislature when it comes to? banning and taking away certain guns, uh, uh, suppressors. What's happening there? How is this playing out?
4: Well, I saw that they had passed a assault weapon ban through the House in Virginia, so we have to see if it passes the Senate it might not. I think the Republicans have just are I mean Democrats have a slim majority there and obviously not all Democrats are are that way in Virginia. but you know I my position on this is I need and want very much the Supreme Court to take up the assault weapons ban. Because I think it's completely unconstitutional. It is the banning of a of a mechanism that is just like the mech semi automatic mechanism of many many other guns. And if you can ban an assault rifle simply because of how it looks, you can basically ban any gun you want that isn't a revolver or shotgun. Uh, I think that's a big, I think that's a big problem. And I think that the, that Heller clearly. Would fo- anyone who would follow Heller would clearly see that it was uh, unconstitutional? Right.
1: So essentially, when they have the special, they have the special rules in place on fully automatic firearms, which I know can be grandfathered if they're from a, you know, if they come from, if you own them before a certain time, uh, and and then you can get an FFL license, so you can go through right. the process and get one. But that's a specific mechanism that is definable and clear. Whereas with right. a semi-automatic rifle, it's like, oh, because it has a collapsible stock, now it looks scary.
4: Right, and, and if you want to ban those things, unfortunately, the Trump administration did ban the uh, bump stocks. Yeah, yeah, the bump stocks. But you know, and I, I think actually bump stocks maybe could be banned, but at least you should do it legislatively or however else. He, I think, just did it through a executive order, but. An assault weapon, assault rifle, assault, I'm sorry, an assault weapon is a made-up term by liberals. It doesn't really mean anything other than something they just invented out of the blue. There's no mechanical difference.
1: And, and yet, they're sure enough that they, they can come and, and have people be arrested for possessing one. Right? So. <laughs>
4: right. And then they come up with other, like on silencers and other stuff, they come up with laws that make it illegal. Essentially, they've made millions of people in Virginia probably criminals overnight, or they would if they passed that legislation, uh, which... It's just—it seems to me un- to be something that would be. I mean, are they? Are, they, are you they, want to do?
1: Are the Democrats in Virginia just trying to turn Virginia into California as fast as they can? Is that really the plan?
4: Well, you know, you know well how it worked here. When I first got here, I, I moved to Maryland, and people used to say you should move, up, you know, move over to the American side of the border in Virginia and stuff like that. But uh, now Virginia obviously has a huge influx of people, DC types. And they're, you know, congregated in one area. The rest of the state isn't that way. And that little one area wants to run the rest of the state as they do from Denver or from, you know, other states that have liberal big cities. And, uh, and they're probably going to win because they typically do. And that, what stinks about this is that you get a lot of liberals moving to conservative states because you know the economic environment is excellent, and then they go there and they ruin it. They
1: ruin it. it. Yeah, I talked about this yesterday. This is what they're doing in Austin, Texas. It's what they're doing in Nashville. It's what they're doing. And yeah. I mean, they've done this in a lot of places. So. All right, walls. man. Yeah. David Harsanyi, everybody, National Review. We'll also follow him on Twitter, at uh, David Harsanyi. The name is spelled kind of like it
0: sounds. David, thanks so much. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
4: And I have to tell you that because of Bernie Sanders and because of what he has spent his life doing and how he has changed this country in the last four years, he has taught me and he has taught us as a country what we can ask for. We have we have made do with crumbs for so long. And Bernie has said, hey, we're starving in this country. We can't subsist on these crumbs anymore. Why can't we demand the whole pie? And that's what we're doing. And that's what we're going to get when Bernie Sanders is our next president.
1: <laughs> what the heck is she talking about? We have been living on crumbs. That's Cynthia Nixon. In case you don't know, she's the act- one of the four main actresses from the Much celebrated HBO series Sex and the City. And I think she also at one point was going to run for either mayor or governor in New York. I think it was mayor, maybe there was talk about that. So she has some political aspirations. Uh, It's estimated, I saw online, that she's worth about uh, $30 million. So I I don't know what crumbs she has been eating, but uh, things have been pretty good for Cynthia Nixon. And this is a this is a perfect example, though, when I talk to you about about how liberals push, especially for Bernie Sanders, who is, is the candidate that gets the most support in New Hampshire uh, and is going to in, in a lot of other states, too, in the under 30 demographic, because it's it's very understandable that you would support Bernie Sanders if you have a lack of life experience, wisdom and time paying taxes to the federal government, which anybody under 30, by definition, those are all going to be things that are that are true. Uh, but Cynthia Nixon is is giving you here. It's, it's like she's doing a dramatic reading of how Lib's virtue signal, but she's doing it for real. Here she's telling you, you know, oh, the crumbs we've been given. Now we want the whole pie. It's just just put her right in an Aaron Sorkin movie, you know, just just an, an elite, a limousine liberal talking about the crumbs that everyone has had. of The, the crumbs. The country is getting richer all the time standard of living is going up in this country that that is the reality of the last 30 years i'll just speak to that things are getting better getting safer getting faster getting cleaner getting you know more delicious i mean things are getting better in america i, I come here i'm one of the few shows i feel like everyone knows oh the constitution is on flyer fire flyer on fire and it's all everything's going to hell in a handbasket yeah, I mean, there's bad stuff going on. Bernie Sanders winning would be really bad. We have fights we gotta win. We got policy disputes. We got a deep state that's out of control. We got a media that's insane. But if we're really taking a step back, I'm here to tell you things are good. They might not always be good. They might not always be good. You know, we uh we have a real a real period of of, uh, hyperinflation in this country, and all of a sudden things look real bad real fast. If we go to war with China, things... I'm not saying it's always going to be really good. That's why I want you to enjoy this period in America right now. You're probably living right now in the single best period in the history of the United States to be an American, and you can therefore argue that maybe you are right now in this moment living in the most fortuitous place in the history of the human race. Yeah, I know. And walk around... You know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You got that going for you, which is nice. But Cynthia Nixon, who's a lot richer than me, I'm not rich at all, and probably richer than most of you listening, she's worth $30 million. I mean, you know, Team Buck's got a lot of ballers out there who you know, run businesses and stuff, but I'm just saying, I don't think all of you are worth $30 million. She's doing really well, and yet she likes to stand up and give speeches about the crumbs. And... Similarly, I mean, this is the kind of rhetoric you expect from the the idiot media that we have. MSNBC's Katie Turr, who is one of the dumber, I mean, she's now like in that uh, in that category with Joe Scarborough, Anna Navarro, Don Lemon for just wow, these people. That guy doubted ABC, moron. Wow, these people are not smart. Uh, Katie Turr, here's what she has to say about the economy is like not working for everyone. Play 19.
0: When I ask uh, people if they're voting for Donald Trump, uh, I hear for, about the 401 is a lot. It's a number I hear. 401K, 401K, my 401K is doing great. Um, but there are those out there who don't have a 401K. And there are those out there who this economy is not really working for. They might have a job, but it's not a job that pays their bills. They can get a car, but it's a loan that'll last them 30 years. They can't buy a house. The economy's not working in a way that makes their lives function properly.
1: Uh... It's not working for everyone. Does the economy does the economy ever work for everyone? Is that really a is that really a thing that we can believe is happening? Doesn't the economy provide the opportunity for everyone to work in it and to raise themselves up through their own labor? I mean, the world is not fair. You know, I'm not six foot five. I was not born with a trust fund. I do not have, uh, you know, incredible skills on the football field or the basketball court. You know, the world is the world is not a fair place. Right. We, we all have to deal with that. It's never going to be entirely fair. All we can do is try to create the environment that makes the greatest or the, the, that rewards most efficiently effort and skill and talent and perseverance. And that's what we're constantly doing in this country. Meanwhile, the, the socialist mentality that these, these elite libs are constantly foisting on all of us is, well, because there are some people that aren't doing as well as others, we have to just tear down the system and, and try radical new stuff. That's Bernie Sanders. That's what he offers you. That's why he, he is troubling. And if, by the way, if, if Bernie Sanders becomes president, I'm not going to be sitting here doing shows about how this is the best time in the history of America to be in America.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to
1: continue with Trump's war on the deep state because it's an important one. It's a battle that we need the president of the United States to be victorious in. And I'm glad that he is willing to wage it because the media is going to scream bloody murder about the whole thing. They're going to completely lose their minds because they like having this fifth column inside the federal government. Right? Goes back to the what the I was going to say the the Spanish Civil War, if memory serves, right? The fifth column, I believe. Uh, But that's the, the reality is that the media wants there to be. A helping hand inside the government, especially at places like the Department of Justice, that's always just just pushing things over to the left, pushing the Democrat agenda a little bit more by attacking generally by attacking the enemies of the Democrat agenda and by protecting those who are a part of what the left wing is trying to accomplish. And a clear example of this is the complete mess around the Roger Stone sentencing recommendation. All right. Roger Stone, they they threw everything they had at him uh because he defied because he knew that these people, the, the people coming after him were Democrat anti-Trump chumps. That that's that's the the purest, most honest way to look at the special counsel prosecutors were all Democrats, all Hillary people. Oh, Mueller was on unt- top. Mueller was just a fig leaf. He was a facade. It was Weissman and a bunch of Democrats the whole time, just like we've been just like I've been telling you. And Roger Stone was like, "Look, this is this is a joke. This whole thing's ridiculous, and I'm I'm not going to you know dance to the tune they tell me to." So they sent. Dozens of armed men in his home. Oh, and they didn't tip off CNN before they did it either. CNN just happened to be there. right? Remember that whole thing? A bunch of Such a bunch of liars. CNN, the only news organization that could figure out the exact timing of the raid on Roger Stone's house. Because it's not like CNN has a bunch of former senior DOJ people and probably current DOJ people that are either on the payroll or right on the top of the Rolodex. We all know what happened, but they like to think that we don't. Brian Brad Stelter was like, "Excuse me, can anybody prove? Can anybody prove that we did not, uh, that we did not just find this on our own because it's good journalism?" And just, I was whenever he talks, I just picture Jeb Zucker just like patting him on his little bald head, just, "Oh, there you go." Well, I guess that would be Stelter patting Zucker on his bald head, but you know what I'm saying. So we now know that. What was going on was dirty in the DOJ. The Department of Justice was outraged in the top of it, Barr and the people that are that are overseeing the prosecutors who were handling the Roger Stone case, outraged that they were told that they were gonna ask for a lesser sentence, but then they asked for a big sentence. Seven to nine years in federal prison? Roger Stone's almost 70 years old. You're gonna have this guy maybe spend the rest of his natural life in prison for Uh, like witness tampering and lying about a probe that never should have even happened in the first place. You have to remember that. Russia collusion was a a lie, a farce, a fraud. So there, there never should have been a Russia collusion investigation. And people say, oh, but what about Russia interfering in the election? That could have been done by the DOJ and had nothing to do with Roger Stone, had nothing to do with Trump connections to it all. It's a bunch of like Russian web hackers who were, you know, wasting time. Basically, I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. They didn't change a single vote, didn't change the election outcome. But people that are so invested in their politics, oh, Hillary should have won. Please. Anyway, Roger Stone, seven to nine years, is utterly outrageous, and any person who says otherwise is unserious. These legal analysts go on TV. Oh, but. Given all the counts they threw against him, that's complete. Yeah, because they stacked all these enhancement counts under what are effectively minor violations, minor process violations, process crimes. Uh, And just just keep in mind that the the DOJ asked for a sentence for a guy who was leaking, uh, leaking, it is believed, FISA information to a journalist who he was sleeping with while he was working at the Senate Uh, Senate uh, Intelligence Committee. He's a staffer there. He's, you know, doing the horizontal mambo with a journalist at the New York Times, no less, giving her classified information that they couldn't catch him on that one. So they they got him on lying about that, which would be about a much more serious thing. Do you know what the sentence, the recommendation was for that guy? That hashtag resistance warrior? Zero to six months. So if you are bra- continuously violating your obligation to national security classified information as a government employee, and you know doing naughty things with a a journalist, I, be- I believe he was married by the way, not you know, but whatever. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, but and you lie about that because you're trying to hurt Trump with the leaks you were giving. You know then, then you can expect that some. Left-wing Democrat deep-stater is going to say you get zero to six months, maybe. So, basically, no jail time. That means nothing. You're not going to jail at all, really. But if you're Roger Stone, you might get nine years in federal prison. Of, of course, that was absurd. Of course, that was a complete overstep, and it was wildly disproportionate to what should have been happening there. And look, they, they, should have just, they should have just given Roger Stone probation and said, don't do that again. That, that, that would be fair. Yeah, because I mean, you shouldn't lie in an investigation. I'm not going to pretend like that's totally fine, but it's an investigation that never should have happened, and he wasn't protecting anybody that did anything bad, and who cares? Roger Stone just doesn't really have that much respect for the process, and how can we ask him to have that much respect for the process when we saw how it was being abused for partisan reasons? But the prosecutors in a classic Sally Yates move, she's one of my least favorite deep staters, by the way, doesn't get, there's not enough scorn heaped upon Sally Yates for what she was doing as a little Obama leave behind in the uh, Trump administration. Uh, You know, they really did take advantage of that transition instead of trying to help the senior people that were Obama appointees or that were holdovers to the Obama administration or just, you know, Democrat superfans in the bureaucracy. They used that that period of transition instead of trying to elevate the Trump administration, make it better so they'd be more effective in helping the American people. They viewed that 2016 to 2017 transition period for Trump as an opportunity to inflict damage, to wound the Trump administration. And the best example of that is, is when Comey told us, I could sneak in a couple of guys to talk to Flynn before anybody knew what was going on and trap him. That's all that was. That's right. Obama's FBI director entrapped the incoming national security advisor. We're supposed to trust people left behind in the system? I don't think so. Sally Yates refuses to to enforce what she says is an unconstitutional order. It turns out the Supreme Court says, no, actually, the travel ban is, is constitutional. Oh, but she's such a, such a brave voice for the truth and for the Constitution. Nonsense. Pretended that the Logan Act was being violated, and so that's why they had to go talk to Flynn. No serious person thinks the Logan Act is a crime you'd ever charge a person with. But this is what we we're up against. So these lawyers, there's a handful of these lawyers... Including one who, under the Obama administration, a DOJ prosecutor who, under the Obama administration, was the one hounding the Little Sisters of the Poor to make them—you know—he was arguing against the Little Sisters of the Poor so they would have to buy a, buy contraceptive drugs in abortive fashions. And those, a handful of those lawyers who, according to the Attorney General, lied about or the Attorney General's office lied about what the sentence request was going to be. And now the DOJ has come out and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is crazy. That's not right." Oh, and guess what? A bunch of these these lawyers now have resigned. These DOJ deep staters have have all bailed. And this was by design. They did something like this. This is just they're upping their market value among the left wing apparatus. That was the whole purpose of this. Oh, we wanted to we wanted to crush Roger Stone, and now they're all saying that Barr is, uh, you know, Barr is a rogue attorney general and he's overstepping he's doing this because trump tweeted about it no he's doing it because it's the right thing to do and anyone who understands the timeline of how this all was rolled out by the doj would also know that it was a completely absurd request absurd request that they uh imprison roger stone for seven to nine years I mean, people do really bad stuff and don't go to prison and don't go to federal prison for almost 10 years. I mean, for almost a decade. That's insane. But now the libs are complaining and whining about this. They're saying, oh, it's it's just going to show that that bar who is a longstanding DOJ lawyer guy you know worked in the Office of Legal Counsel, had been attorney general before. All right. But now he's a Trump puppet. He's already had the attorney general job. He's got it again, and they're saying he's a Trump puppet. Trump must have just gotten into his brain and taken it all over. These people are uh, disgraceful, and I, I would like to call them unserious. But again, we have to take the threat seriously because they believe all this nonsense. They believe that what they're doing is okay. That they're taking the right approach. That they're defending the Constitution and helping the American people. It's just, it's just absurd. Thank God for Attorney General Barr, man. He, he is, and I, I could go through a whole bunch of reasons why, I, he, he has kept the the ambushes against Trump from being successful because they keep coming after Trump. They keep trying to take him, take down his whole presidency, get him kicked out of office. And the Attorney General, this Attorney General, I like Jeff Sessions. He was not, he's just not a war. he's not a wartime, you know there's wartime consigliere in the movie The Godfather. Jeff Sessions was not a wartime consiliary. He's not a wartime attorney general. Barr is he understands what's going on here. He knows that this is not normal this is not a normal period in American politics that the left is 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 desperate, is frenzied, can no longer be reasoned with, especially when it comes to the usage of administrative and prosecutorial power. They have no standards, there's no good faith offered by their side. And that's why he's that's why Barr has been so important, because he understands this. He knows this. He understands what the left is up to. But it's also why he put forward. And I love the way this is reported on. Oh, it's terrible. What's going on? He put forward an order. Um, an order within the DOJ that says, look, if you're going to open. An investigation. Of a presidential campaign. You have to actually bring this to the attention of the attorney general. This is a mechanism for accountability. How do you think the liberal, and and given that this just happened, that the Obama administration, and people don't hear that enough, it is not said enough, the Obama administration opened up an investigation of the Trump campaign. That is what happened. Obama's DOJ, Obama's FBI director, used FISA improperly on a Trump campaign associate and did human surveillance of another Trump campaign associate. And we're told that this never was raised to the level where Obama would know what it was and didn't hear about it. There's no accountability whatsoever. Attorney General Barr is saying, no, that we're going to have accountability on this. We, we are going to be clear on what is and is not allowed and, and who does and does not know about using the Department of Justice as a political tool in this way, a political weapon. So, at least you'll know that if, if this opens up again It's it's an obvious thing to do, and the way the liberals are reporting on it in the media is more, more outrage from uh, More outrage saying that this is about shredding the constitution, destroying the country. It's just I don't know. These, these people are nuts. They really are. They've, they've completely lost it. Barr's doing the right thing. Everybody should know he's doing the right thing, and I just am sad that we're never going to really get the answers that we need to get in time. Uh, I don't think that we're going to have the Durham report before the next election. By the time we find out just how dirty the Obama administration was when it came to this, the construction, the fabrication of the Russia collusion narrative and how it was really always a, a, a an insurance policy, in ca- just as it was said, an insurance policy in case Trump wins to take him down, uh, by the time we find out how just horrific the whole thing was so much time will have passed and trump will be in the middle of his second term and there's just not going to be any accountability Which means there's not going to be any justice and libs would do it again you have to also remember that they they have not given up on this the same way that i'm very confident that if liberals have a majority in the house of representatives they will move to impeach this president they will move to do that Uh, again second time i i'm telling you if they have it doesn't even have to be Trump. It, the next Republican president, they're going to come up with some scheme, some theory, some story about how he's not really the president and should be uh, removed from office, and and you know presidency should be destroyed. So don't think that they've learned any lessons. They've only just figured out how to do this even more in more
0: insidious fashion. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
5: In voting to acquit President Trump of an abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, Senate Republicans sought to justify their vote by claiming that the president had, quote, learned his lesson. The implication was that the ordeal of impeachment and its permanent stain on his reputation that can never be erased would chasten President Trump's future behavior. A toddler scolded into compliance. The explanation, frankly, looked like an excuse. It was unconvincing the moment it was uttered. No president, no serious person believes President Trump has learned any lesson. He doesn't learn any lessons. He does just what he wants, what suits his ego at the moment. Observers of the president would question whether he's even capable of learning a lesson. And unsurprisingly, the flimsy rationalization by some Senate Republicans desperate to have an excuse because they were so afraid of doing the right thing was disproven within a matter of days.
1: Oh, I'm so sad for you, Chuck. Didn't work, did it? Not able, not able to get it done. Didn't work. Notice how Democrats, they constantly do this. They accuse the other side of doing what they themselves are doing. And here, this this claim that, oh, there's a lesson that needs to be learned that hasn't been learned. Uh, Okay, well, guess what? That's because the Democrats haven't learned the lesson. The lesson is they never should have impeached the president in the first place. They have debased the impeachment process. They have made it a clearly partisan weapon to be deployed for petty purpose going forward. And Schumer and the Democrats, their only regret here is that they weren't successful. And also that Trump is going to new levels of, of approval and they are flailing, right? I now. Mean, the Democratic Party is flailing. Who, who really is going to be offered up as their, their opposition to Donald Trump? I mean, who really can they put forward that they think is going to be a, a serious contender for the next presidency? Uh, this is going to be a big problem for them, folks. And that's why I think that you might even see some... I've been telling you this, you might see an effort to resurrect the Russia collusion narrative between now and the election. I I really think that's going to happen. Some other version of it. They're going to try to come, oh, but the Trump Tower meeting and this other thing and Manafort and they're just they're going to take the old crazy lib leftovers in the fridge and make you the the world's most dishonest meatloaf. I mean, that's what they're planning to do. That's what they're going to pull together, because otherwise they just know that they've got a weak field. They know that they're going to be facing another four years of Trump, and that's going to be that's going to be amazing. I mean, I don't know what we're going to be doing election night here, but in the Freedom Hub, man, we're going to be I'm going to have champagne at the ready, and it's going to be I'm going to walk around New York If Trump wins, I'm going to declare this now. I'm just going to walk around New York City the day after the election, and i I think I might have to wear a MAGA hat. I think I might have to do it just to sort of see the reactions. I mean, people will throw stuff at me, but It'd be kind of fun. We videotape it, you know? I'm glad
3: you're telling me now, Buck. This way I can order the extra jumbo-sized hat.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. You need a special hat for Buck. You need that
3: many months in advance to to
0: order it. We can get it done, though. I appreciate you thinking ahead. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts show ain't over yet folks keeping it real it's time for roll call
1: all right roll call fun part of the show for all involved which means all of us i guess because you're listening and i'm doing and bruce and mark is here Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to email us, send them in. And now I read them off a sheet so that I don't have to spend time. In the passive i to go, okay, roll we'll call in a second. Just got to wait for it to load. Still loading. Still loading. Now I've got printouts. Thanks, Producer Mark. That was a good idea.
3: One of the many ways Producer Mark uh,
1: makes your day be easier. That is true. i like Mark's. the
3: easy button at Staples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true,
1: or is, or the penalty box, the easy button. We got a lot of names for it. Over mm-hmm. there. Yeah. All right. Uh, JJ writes in this argument. Producer Mark is me, and the Buxer is my younger sister. Backstreet Boys were the best vocally, but in sync had the better PR machine and attracted the biggest name producers and songwriters for their albums. They were also collectively much younger than the members of the Backstreet Boys. However, to throw a wrench in here, what are your thoughts on the original boy band, New Kids on the Block, or to go way back the Beach Boys? Now I think people would be very I I'm sure some of the boomers listening would not would not approve of the Beach Boys being called the Boy Band, but maybe there's a case to be Do we think that's do we think that's a stretch?
3: I mean they are technically, technically a, boy a boy band. band. Right. But right. they're not a boy band like they sing and dance and stuff. Right. Um New Kids on the Block, uh,
1: did they do Good Vibrations? Was that a new concept? That in the Block was Beach song? Boys. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Yeah. Got those good vib- vibrations, got those sweet sensations. You got the sensations. Right stuff. You know, is that, you know Some what I'm talking No, Good
3: Vibrations, you are singing a Beach Boys song.
1: No, that's good, good, good vibrations. I'm talking about the, I can't, I, if I do the vocalization, people are going to like never listen to the show again, so I can't do it. But there's a song, are it's like. Th-
3: oh, I think you're thinking of this song, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah yeah, yeah yeah. All right, yeah. yeah, yeah. We got to like that much of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That that song. That's, that's Marky Mar that's Mark Wahlberg who is the brother of Donnie Wahlberg who is in New Kids on the Block. Right.
1: Okay. Yes. So that's what that is as New Kids
3: on the Block. No. Song. Wait. Mark Wahlberg is not a member of New Kids on the Block. Donnie Wahlberg is. Wait, really? Yes. I thought Mark Wahlberg was no. in New Kids on the Block. It was Donnie Wahlberg? It's Donnie Wahlberg. The I one don't... New stars in Blue Bloods. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about that, dude. It's 100% a fact. Are you sure
1: about this? This yeah. isn't like Clemson, right? You, you're, no, you're, no, you're, I'm sure. I mean,
3: you can Google it. You have a, right. a computer running it.
1: All right. I'm going to believe you on this one, but... Yeah, I, I, I think New Kids on the Block, I barely remember them. I kind of always think... When I think of New Kids on the Block, it also reminds me... Wasn't Criss Cross big then? Because they'll make you jump. Jump. Mac Dad will make you... Isn't that will, the one song they had? Jump. Jump. Yeah. Uh... I believe also they they had a style for a while of wearing their jeans backwards, which was new, and I've got to say as a as a dude that strikes me as it might be kind of uncomfortable sometimes, because I mean, you know
3: what's the difference other than the flies being on the other side?
1: Well, yeah, there's that, but like I think also the way it's it's cut. I mean, not that I'm a fashionista here, but isn't isn't there usually a more, little more room? I, mean, in I the, guess
3: it depends on what kind of jeans you're wearing, but I feel like a normal straight like pair of jeans. It wouldn't really make a difference. I
1: like ample room in my jeans, is all I can tell you. I I like I like ample
3: room in the right places. All right.
1: Uh, Here we go. Heidi, Buck, I remember the other day you were saying, joking, I think, that you would do cooking while talking about history. Buck, cooking and history time? I would pay to see that content. Love the show. I listen every morning while I work out. Uh, If I have a particularly stressful day at work, I'll catch myself thinking, I just need to hang out in the Freedom Hut right now. Your show always lifts me into a better mood. Keep it up, including the singing and impersonations. P.S. Producer Mark is the greatest in all caps. Producer Mark, I don't know if your family members are allowed to keep writing in like this. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have to tell them to stop. Yeah, you know. I don't know. Heidi's like your second cousin or something, but.
3: I really don't have anyone named Heidi in my family, though. Yeah. Mm.
1: So he says. But yeah, Producer Mark is the greatest in all caps. And a history show, cooking show. I kind of want to do this. I've I've been thinking about ways to get this going, so we will see. Um, Karen, love the show and wish you continued success. A single guy should be looking to settle down uh, wherever nice young ladies in NYC are to be found, which is not in your apartment in front of the TV, right? You have plenty of time to retire. uh, watch TV when you retire. Get out there. Uh, Thank you, Karen. The problem is I do four hours of radio a day now, so... Getting out there, it, it's. I'm just lucky if I can get up in the morning. It's a long day.
3: Well, you you end around what seven New York City time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I
1: know New York. That's like that's you know.
3: That's just the beginning. Of the, the night year. is in
1: diapers, as they yeah. say, at seven o'clock here. It's exactly. Just getting just getting started. So yeah.
3: find you some good Republican bars. There are not probably one New
1: York. City. Yeah, I mean there is one bar that I really like in New York City where they have a very large American flag hanging on the wall. Sure. And that's the closest that's the closest that I can get to something that feels like home. You know. Most of them are sports bars. Yeah, but the Unless thing with sports like bars there's so many TVs, and I just feel like so, I'm gonna have a, you know, it, like there's too many flashing lights, too much noise. You know, people normally go to sports bars Buck, to watch and, sports. To I watch know. Sports. Well, see, that's I go to sports bars to talk to people. Ah, and that's why there was like, shh, be quiet. I'm watching the game. John writes, "Shields High, Real News, and Commie Bear Fan." Wow, we're stretching back, uh, back a few years here. If you buy a good cut of meat and salt the steak. There is no need for your excessively fancy reverse sear method. The trick is to leave the salt on 40 minutes. This makes a perfect steak every time. Well, John, if you have a thick a thick piece of meat and you cook and cook and cook to get the center of it the right temperature, it is possible to overcook much of the rest of the steak to get that perfect internal temperature. So that's what the reverse sear helps with. I don't understand what you think the salt does to avert this problem, um, but I am all ears. Pablo. Hey, Buck, love the show. I am old enough to have served in the Navy during Desert Storm. I remember thinking how easy an election Bush won was going to have. I mean, he took the U.S. forces in against what we thought was a formidable foe and ended it in 43 days. Putting the world on notice, don't mess with America. Then, a year and a half later, he loses to a young governor from Arkansas. What I'm getting at is we can't assume Trump will get reelected. Shields high. Pablo, you are absolutely correct, man. I mean, by all accounts, George H.W. Bush should have won re-election, but you had Ross Perot get in the mix, and you had Bill Clinton win with less than 50% of the vote. So that was a uh, that was a real moment. Ross Perot handed the Democrats eight years of the presidency. I don't have a good Ross Pro. I, I was the only Ross Pro impersonation I can remember is Dana Carvey's impersonation, and I always get confused also with his George H. W. Bush impersonation, where he was like, "Not prudent, not gonna do it," and that's pretty much what I remember of it. Ross Perot was, was kind of up here. He was kind of like he's kind of like you know you know you know yippee I'm gonna I'm gonna be Ross Perot on the television. That that was kind of Dana Carvey's Ross Perot, if I remember a little bit of that. Uh, I think he, at one point, paid, uh, on a sketch, in a sketch, he paid Chris F- uh, Farley to let him ride him around like a horsey, and he was like, come on, horsey, come on, and Ross Perot was like throwing money at him so he could ride Chris Farley. Anyway, that, that I remember some of that. Michelle writes, just sending a message of hope. I do not know your circumstances, but no matter the case, I do hope you will receive love and joy this Valentine's Day. You deserve it because, as your listener and team member, I hope always for your best. Open the champagne and do eat well. All of your followers love you and wish your talent would skyrocket you to the top from now. Many blessings. Thank you so much, Michelle. That's very, very nice. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be around on Valentine's Day. I get, you know, producer, producer Mark is going to bring me some roses because he's a, he's a sentimental kind of guy. Producer you know?
3: Mark's not going to be here on Valentine's Day.
1: Now, 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 maybe I do need the team to keep me from being a little sad. I'll call
3: producer Brandon, tell him to yeah, bring tell producer
1: Brandon I want some roses. roses. Yeah, he's gonna show up and be like, "Do you mean Guns and Roses?" Play some music.
3: That's exactly what he's actually is, gonna that, do. That is yeah. probably
1: what he would do. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Peter, right? Did producer Mark go to the Argyle Theater in Babylon? There are lots of great shows performed on Long Island. Is that where you went? That is exactly where I went. Oh, well, Peter clearly lives out in in, uh, in the Strong Island.
3: On a Long Island, yeah. You do not say in Long Island, yeah. Whatever, yeah. On the strong
1: Long Island, important. Uh, I also always love. I, I've taken the uh, Long Island Railroad, and I like the way that the train conductors say the different, you know, Babylon, yeah. Patchogue, Ronkonkoma. You know, they have this sort of, of course, the automated certain voice. cadence. Well, I, I'm talking about, no, this is, I used to oh, do it back the when the conductor it. would say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, because they got the they got the Strong Island accent telling you the way you say the town names for Strong Island. Yes.
3: By the way, I have a quick story. Yeah. Did, did you take the LIRR to my uh, wedding? Uh, I took a cab. You took a cab? Okay, yeah. well. Uh, or Uber, but yeah. I have, so we were watching the wedding video. We got this back recently. And, you know, they had the ceremony and at first it was straight on and then they went behind us. You know, to kind of get another angle with the crowd behind us. And all of a sudden, I see in the back where the people who were late were standing. And I'm like, is that a swoop? I mean, I was there for the ceremony. I was there for the ceremony. I feel like I'm getting called out here. After I walked down the aisle, No, 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 no.
1: No, no. no. I saw Mm -hmm. the whole vow. That's not true, Mm -hmm. producer Mark. I saw the vows. Okay. I saw the hopa. Uh Uh-huh. The whole thing. Yeah. I was there. I
3: was. I saw that and I was like, I have to. I have was to a little myself. on the later side. Sure, uh-huh. But, yeah. Well, it's just funny because, you know, you're late to work every day, so. I, I keep telling the him the show starts like when I notice. get here.
1: He doesn't understand that that's actually a truism. The show does start when I get here. There's no show until I get here, so what difference does it make?
3: I mean, that's fair, but. Yeah.
1: But, no, I, I was there. I saw the vows. I'm not that guy who shows uh-huh. up post vows. I just thought this I'm was still like waiting it. for my gluten-free mac and cheese, by the way. I asked your wait staff at your wedding. You I, said, I said, where's something? my gluten-free mac and cheese? Yeah, they gave me a very nice salmon. The food was excellent. Good All job. Right. But I'm just saying, I said, where's my gluten-free mac and cheese? The guy was like, what do you think I am? Well, they, they changed it on me. They called yeah. it
3: an audible. Yeah, par- apparently. I was promised GF, creamy, gooey, Mac but, and cheese. But good on you for not coming up to me day of the wedding and telling me about it. Yeah, no, I appreciate yeah, yeah. that. No,
1: it was a lovely wedding actually. The food oh, was very you. good. Yeah, I like the one with the DJ too. That's I'm glad fun. you got there on <laughs> time. Yeah,
0: I was oh, I was there for the ceremony, darn it. As promised. You're in the freedom hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Jason
1: writes in, has anybody ever told you, you sound like Seth McFarland? The creator of Family Guy. Also, you should try some of the character voices that he does on the show. Love your show, gets me through the day. Uh, I have a little. My little sister has told me in the past that sometimes, if I'm being a little pompous, I sound like uh, Baby Stewie. Right? That's a Family Guy character.
3: Oh She's yeah, like, Baby Stewie.
1: I uh, No, uh, that was bad. But yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I have heard it. But you definitely mm-hmm. do sound a little bit like Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane, the actual
1: guy. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know Baby Stewie's voice. I have to listen. I've really never watched. Is Family Guy good? Oh yeah. I've never really watched Love Family Guy. I used to watch The Simpsons, but it's been on for so long that I can't. Yeah, even. I can't even get it's into like, it. There's like too much Simpsons now. I don't even know.
3: Family Guy going. was like bad at first, apparently, and then got much better. Aren't
1: Bart and Lisa like eighty years old now? Probably. I mean, what doesn't really. But they're
3: still six and seven or over. Oh, they, they kept are. them the same. They yeah, added. no,
1: they haven't grown them at all. That's kind of weird, isn't it? They've been the show. That show's been around for over twenty years.
3: Yeah, twenty five, I think. Yeah, I mm-hmm. guess so.
1: Adam, right? Producer Mark Buck is quite necessary. Every president needs a dictator. JFK had Bobby Kennedy. Shields high. I guess you're the dictator in here, huh? I do keep tight ship. He, he does run a tight ship, so I always have to have him cc'd on everything because then I'll actually remember it. So that's the good part. I'm
3: about basically it. half producer, half secretary. Yeah, he's point. a command.
1: He's like what well, we call him the command center. That is a better name than second. It's a okay. command center. Right. Yeah, that's what we call it. Chris, and by the way, if you guys ever have to like, send me something, send it to Bruce or Mark here, and he'll make sure that I get it. Don't, don't, you know. Yeah.
3: If you send it to teambuck at iHeartMedia.com, I see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm so the one who answers just, those just emails.
1: He's, he's, he's the one. Chris, Buck, love the show. Just an observation. I was active duty U.S. Air Force for 10 years. I went to Saudi right after the first Gulf War and was lucky lucky enough not to be in combat. We all hope we would live up to the challenge, but nobody knows for sure until they face it. I have deep respect for combat vets. I do have a problem with the term warfighter. I'm not a hippie, but that is a very divisive term. Not everybody deploys for war, not everybody who does sees combat, but nobody, even especially spec ops guys, go to war without massive support from the rest of the military and civilians. It downplays the huge sacrifices of the home team who work very hard to support them. I know the scorn for REMFs, which I cannot say what that is on the air, but some of you can Google that. It has to do with being in the rear echelon. And this is not envy. It just relegates everybody else to second-class status while not even truly distinguishing the actual combat troops who are lumped in with those who just share a geographic area. That's what medals were created for. The military didn't create the warfighter class until around 2003, and it's not a good thing. Hmm. Interesting, Chris. Uh, First of all, thank you for your service. And uh, I, I don't, I mean, so the term, are you, is your, is your objection to the term warfighter or to the way the term warfighter is applied? Because there are clearly people, you know, I was sent to two different active combat zones, as a, as a combatant, armed and trained, but I was not in combat. So there's a distinction between, for example, I would sit and, and be in meetings with uh, SF, Delta, SEALs, talk to them about raids they were going to go on, try to provide intel support to them. They went out and did a thing that I never did and wasn't trained to do. So there is a clear distinction between, and they were taking much greater risk, and uh, you, you know there's a clear distinction between what we were our roles were in the war zone. Um, so I, I think that we need to know that there is a distinction, but I suppose what you're saying is sometimes by focusing on the distinction too much, it downplays excessively the contributions of those who are uh, supporting the warfighter— You know, I mean. If it weren't for the guys flying transport planes in Iraq to bring ammunition and food and you know medicine and supplies to frontline deployed SF guys, you know I remember being in an SF compound. It's just like a house in the middle of the desert, and they just had some sandbags up and some guns, and they were just living there. I was like, wow, you guys are out in the this is the Alamo. You're out in the middle of nowhere by yourselves, uh, without transport. Well, it's transport helicopters actually bringing them stuff, but without that, you know they wouldn't even be able to to fight at all. So clearly there's logistics and, and support and that all. I mean, civilians is, is a different thing back home, right? But I think it's just some people don't like that Mayor Pete walks around uh, puffing up his chest a, a little a little too much about how you know he's so special because he served. A lot of people served and they're not nearly so uh, quick to point out that they're so brave and courageous. And a lot of people served that took a lot more risk and were much more brave and courageous than Mayor Pete was. So, But I'm interested to see what the rest of uh, some other Team Buck veterans and active duty think about that, that distinction. So please do write in. Great show as always. Thank you so much, team, for being here. It is an honor. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.